Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. We've got uh, several of our college students who are back with us today. Woo for that. Y'all didn't know, welcome back, and, and we get to dive into Ananias and Sapphira. Exciting stuff. Acts chapter 5. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, who, who Steve, who runs the, uh, the Baptist, uh, he's the director of the Baptist Association in town, he said, Acts 5 is the first uh, mention of youth ministry in the New Testament because it talks about the young men who carried their bodies out. <laughs> We're laughing. I feel like that, that's wrong. Um, but uh, hey, let me, let me pray. And, and I, I do think that uh, the Lord has a, a lot uh, to say through, through this text. Um, and so uh, let's pray and, and ask that God would, would open us up uh, to hear from him this morning. Lord God, we, we just sang that Jesus, it's all about you. And, and I, I think, God, we all would like to think that we're way more gospel-centered than we, when we, than we really are. Um, and, and, but the reality is that we, we come into this place and our hearts and our minds and our lives are, are kind of distracted and focused on a thousand other things. So, God, our, 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 um, the cry of our heart this morning is, Jesus, that, that you, you would be the main thing. That as we, even as we open up a, a hard word in a hard passage like Acts five, we would we would uh, learn um, that we would we would grow and in, in Jesus even even in Acts five that uh, we we would um, see you there and that we would respond to to who you are and what you've accomplished at the cross for us and what your resurrection has accomplished for us, Jesus, and so. Um, God, get me out of the way, and I pray that uh, we, as, as we pray, have prayed so many times before, God, that we would have an expectation of you moving and, and falling on this place this morning, and so meet us here, we pray. Almighty God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of, if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're there, Acts chapter 5, one of, one of the things that has ramped up 1,000%, I know that's not a real thing, in the COVID era uh, is, is church's uh, online presence and the, the, the plethora, if you will, of videos and, and marketing and advertisement and our, our, church, our church is this 
And our, our church is that. Church is plugging uh, their, their worship and their, their ministries and how if you come, you'll have a sense uh, of community or, or a sense of belonging. Uh, but can you imagine if churches put like in their commercials uh, their, uh, their growth areas? Or, or just, or just like their downright drawbacks, right? Like, come and come and worship with us this weekend. Uh, but uh, worship leader Bill sometimes sings off key, right? <laughs> but come on, <laughs> hey, worship with it. Bring, bring your kids. We want to encourage you. Bring your kids. We have children's Bible study leaders who are kind of excited about being here with them, right? Uh, or, or, or how about, how about this one? Uh, uh, join us online today as our pastor uh, may or may not remotely come anywhere close to preaching the gospel. <laughs> or, or how about for restoration pre, pre-COVID, and, and, and probably we're not too far off from this, but join us, join us this Sunday as we have ample parking for 30% of everyone who comes and worships with us. Uh, one, one, thing, one thing that you've got to, to hand Luke, uh, it, the, who is the author of Acts, though, though Luke absolutely shared some of, of the incredible highlights of the early church, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't always present some like, idealized fairy tale version of the church with, with no warts. Amen? Far from it. And just in case you were thinking the early church was like all like rainbows and puppies and, and butterflies, uh, in Acts 5, Luke shares what I think is perhaps like one of, if, if not the most startling story of the New Testament. Would y'all, would y'all agree? I, it, it, I mean, this, this kind of jolts us, you know, and, and so... Already, he's, he's sort of set us up in Acts chapter 4. He, he, is, he has set us up because there's, there's this direct connection between the introduction of Barnabas with the introduction of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. So, so Barnabas, the, the encourager, uh, is, is, is you know, heralded as is, is like this uh, concrete example uh, of the, this sacrificial generosity uh, and sharing that's supposed to flow from the gospel. Amen? Supposed to flow from the grace of God. But already we see there's these, there's these sinister sort of spiritual forces at work to thwart, and they're, trying, they're seeking to thwart the movement of God and His people. And, and it, it, it's interesting. We talked about this last week. In Acts 4, we see in, in 4.33, there's great grace upon the church. And like, yes, great grace. Yes, the undeserved favor of God. But then you get to Acts 5, and it says there was great fear. Two different, in, in two different places, there's great fear. And, and, and what, we, what we ultimately are going to see this morning is the peril of being a spiritual poser, of, of failing to treat God as, as holy and to understand that, that to be saved is to be set apart for God. Amen? 
to be saved is to be set apart for God. So I, I, I want to I wanna throw, I, I throw some questions your way and just let them kind of sit and just kind of marinate, them, marinate on them for, for just a moment before we dive into the text. Does this story shock you? You're reading along through Acts, early church, 3,000, 5,000 get saved, miracles, and it's like Ananias and Sapphira. Does this story shock you? Does it, let me ask you this, does it offend, does it offend you? And you got to ask, what is Acts 5 ultimately revealing about the holiness of God, the grace of God, and I would say the mission of the church? It, Christian, what about, what about you? Make it personal. Right now, what is your view of the holiness of God? What, what sins in your life are you willing to, to overlook with, let me, let me make sure I say this the right way, with the presumption of God's grace? And, and maybe the, 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 most, the key question that I would ask as we dive in, when, when is the last time you asked if your view of God is able to encompass Acts chapter 5? When is the last time you asked if your view of God is able to encompass Acts 5? This morning, we're going to look at the sobering peril of, of Ananias and Sapphira posing. And so the first thing I, I, I want to look at this morning is, is this. And if you've got, if you've got your bulletin, you, you can follow along and, and take notes. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to look at verses 1 through 4. But the first point that I want to make this morning is this. When you ignore the heart, you ignite hypocrisy. Amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, when you ignore the heart, you ignite hypocrisy. Y'all are going to have to wake up this morning, okay? Uh, I, I, know, I know it's Ananias and Sapphira, so I'm not asking you to get chipper, okay? But when you ignore the heart, you ignite hypocrisy. Let me, let me read this again. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And they, they brought only a part of it and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have lied. You've not lied to man, but to God. See, in verse 1, it says they, they sold a piece of property. Where, where have we heard that before, right? We saw it in Acts chapter 4. It sounds innocent enough. And you might even think, oh my gosh, another stunning example of sacrificial generosity. Uh, until you realize that verse 1 starts with the conjunction, but. But. So Luke is, is already setting up the contrast. And as we move into verse 2, we see immediately the issue. First, it, this, this, was, this was premeditated. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that more as we jump into point 
uh, our second point this morning, but just by way of reminder, because I feel like we, we have to go back and lay the groundwork because we've already addressed this with Acts 2. We've already addressed this with Acts 4. This, this was not, by way of reminder, this was not Christian communism, okay? Not, not only was the property theirs to, to give or to keep, but, but also the proceeds were, were theirs to keep or, or distribute how they saw fit. And, and let me be also let me let me also be clear that this is not a this is not a proof text, and I know it's been preached this way, but it's not a proof text for man. You've got to give your all. It's not a proof text of scripture for giving God your all. Rather, there's there's something more devious at, at work. the The text tells us that they they kept back some of the proceeds. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, "Kept back." They kept back some of the proceeds. What, what is in view is not just in the most simplistic of terms, like them holding something back, not, not giving their best, not giving their, their all, because if that's the case, man, like we'd all be in trouble. Rather, in the Greek, the word, the word means to misappropriate funds or to embezzle. In the Greek, that word means to, to misappropriate funds or to embezzle. This, this uh, in, 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 it implies a, a, a previous uh, agreement with the church. Like the, the, these funds had already been devoted to the community. They had already been devoted to the work of the gospel ministry. And interestingly, albeit in the Greek, this is the same word used for the sin of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. If you're not familiar with that story, I encourage you to go back in Joshua chapter 7. Much like in the time of Acts, right? Early church is blowing up. God's at work. God's moving. In the time of Joshua... Uh, Israel had just entered into the land. Like they're, they're riding on this, on this high. Israel had just entered the promised land to take possession. God had promised the victory. Jericho, read, read the story of the battle of Jericho. It's the craziest thing ever. It's way more intense than the VeggieTale version. Okay, but the, the, the walls of Jericho had just fallen. And, and Israel's like, yes, they're, they're poised to conquer their enemies, uh, to inhabit the land, and then enter Achan. Achan, who, who selfishly embezzles these devoted, these devo again, devoted goods. They had already been devoted to God. Everything that they were to take was to be devoted to God. And he embezzled these goods for himself. And in a, this startling display of instant judgment, God judges he and his entire family. But you know what? It, it, it sent this a loud message to the entire nation that God would not be mocked. That he is holy and he has called his people to be holy. And even, check this out, even with Achan's stash, like safely stowed away and hidden, like nobody could see that, that stash of goods, right? But God saw. And not only that, God saw the state of his idolatrous heart. Another, let me give you one more. Another interesting Old Testament connection, I, I, I believe, may lie in the story of, of Aaron's sons, the priest, 
Nadab, and Abihu. And again, very similar circumstances. Israel is riding high. The law has just been handed down through Moses. The priesthood has been established. This is how you will approach God and worship and sacrifice. Things are going well. And, and, and in Numbers, I believe Numbers 3, it says these wayward sons of Aaron, I, like, I don't even know what this looked like. It says they, they offered unauthorized fire before the altar of the Lord, and God administered instant judgment. They're like, whoa, God. God who is, is slow to anger. That's true. That's a scriptural truth. God who is patient. God who pours out his, his, his loving kindness on us. Why? Why the immediate judgment of sin? And why the immediate judgment of sin with Ananias and Sapphira? I, I, I don't know if we'll ever fully know why God came down so incredibly hard on this couple. But let me, let me say it like this. In the same way that God was validating his message through his apostles as scripture was being written personally, I believe God was also validating the unity, the witness, and the mission of the early church. God was validating the unity and the mission, the witness and the mission of the early church. The foundation, I mean, the foundation had to be solid. And if this type of hypocrisy and deceit went completely unchecked in the early months, right? Not just years, the early months of the church, things could come off the rails quickly, super quick. And verse 3, I, I, I believe, touches on an important truth. If you look at verse 3, Peter asks him a question. He says, why, why, has Satan, why has Satan filled your heart? This, this reference to Satan is a reminder, church family, of, of, of this element of spiritual warfare that like, we don't even hardly talk about in the American church. We don't, we, we don't even, we, don't, we, we barely come close to addressing spiritual warfare at times. We're, we're so, we're so uh, adjusted and accustomed to talking about how to have a better this and 10 ways to do this better. And, but no, there's, there's spiritual warfare. Did, and, and, and did Satan literally indwell uh, Ananias? I, I tend to think probably not. Satan is a created being. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere like, like God. His heart was filled with Satan in the sense that I, I, I believe he was filled with the influence of Satan. I, I, I believe he was filled with the Satan in the sense that like Satan, uh, he, he was into appearances. Go look at Ezekiel 28. He, Satan was into appearance. Ananias was into appearance. He valued appearance and, and status more than he valued God's rightful authority over his life. It, it, it makes, you, makes you think of Jesus' warning to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Church, can we just stop for, for one second and, and, and praise God that he doesn't in, employ the same standard of, of instant judgment on all of us that he did in Acts 5? Like this place would be empty. All of us. So what does this mean? What, 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 is, what, is this, what does this mean, Christian, for you? It, it means this. It means we cannot continue to neglect the true state of our hearts. Amen? Like we can't continue to neglect the true state of our, our hearts. If, if you're, let me just say it like this. If you're... If your desires for God are, are waning, if, if your worship is dead, and your prayer life is, is non-existent, and if your reading of God's Word is non-existent, if your passion to see people know Jesus and turn away from their sin and follow Him, if that's gone, grown cold, and, and if you, listen, if, if your, your desires, like you, you don't even give a thought to how you can sacrificially give and live for the sake of the gospel. Listen, don't allow the chasm between your heart and the appearances grow too wide. Don't allow that chasm between your heart and the appearances grow too wide because you, you are on dangerous ground. And, and, and if you neglect your heart, it will ignite hypocrisy in your life. And though the world hears you saying all the right things, and though the world sees you, sees all the, the happy, pretty pictures on Instagram and Facebook, God sees our hearts. God sees our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep. Another word, another translation says, guard your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Amen. Man, let's guard our hearts. Second thing this morning, and really it's, it's rooted in the same four verses, verses one through four. The second point I want to make is this. When, when you presume on grace, you trample it. Once you look at your neighbor, say, when you presume on grace, you trample it. Some of the key words that, that we see in this, pa this passage, in verse 2, we say, with, with the knowledge, right? They, with his wife's knowledge. And then in verse 4, we see this word contrived, which is an idiom uh, meaning to place in the heart or the mind, to make up one's mind. It's a made-up mind beforehand. And then it, later in verse 9, we see this word agreed. It's, this is all something that they had agreed upon. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to belabor this point this morning, but this much is clear. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, they, like, they did not just like sort of stumble their way into this sin. They, like, they didn't just stumble their way into this sin. This was a, a willful, 
uh, deliberate, uh, premeditated decision. Kent Hughes said this, uh, commentator said this, this was pious pretense. This was religious sham. This was simulated holiness. This was Christian fraud. In church family, it, it's, not my, it's not my desire to, to play fast and loose with the text this morning, but, but I, I do want to make a sanctified extrapolation, if you will, okay? Some argue whether or not these two were true believers. I, I think it's hard to say one way or another definitively. Clearly, they were a part of the early covenant community. I, I, I tend to believe that they were. And if they had received the grace of God in Christ to some degree, they were presuming on God's grace. That, that they could lie to the apostles and, and, and get away with it. Not, not too long ago, I, I, I was talking with, a, with a, a Christian man who had left his wife for another woman. And, and, and as I as I pleaded with him, as I pleaded with him to reconcile, to reconcile with his wife, to repent, what, what, what he told me was scary. And, and, and honestly, I think an indictment of the cheap grace culture of the American church. Because he, he knew he was in the wrong. He knew that what he was doing was utterly sinful, and yet he had, he had no intention of changing his course, like no desire to change his course. And he essentially believed that God told me so as much, that God would just would forgive him and that he could go and be with this other woman uh, and, and, and that, that he could pursue, he could just pers- continue to pursue God in this other relationship. Just presuming on the grace of God. And, and, and what's, here's the application. Christian, you are bordering on dangerous ground when you move forward in sin after giving premeditated thought to that sin while presuming on God's grace. Do y'all, do y'all hear me this morning? That, like, that is not only cheap grace, church. That is a fundamental, this is important, that is a fundamental breakdown of the understanding of what grace is and what it's supposed to accomplish in our lives. We are saved to be set apart. When we, when we willfully sin and where we presume on the grace of God, it is re, it's revealing a heart that is desensitized to the gospel. It's revealing hearts that are desensitized to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross for our sin. Past, present, and future. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the good news that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He rose. And and that gives us not only a hope of heaven, but a victory over sin. But listen, that that victory, yes, it's future when we are glorified and resurrected with Christ. But Scripture reveals, Christian, that God's will for you is to live in victory over sin right now. 
Amen? Not in perfection. First John talks about that. Romans 8. Romans 6, 8 through 14. Paul says this. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will no longer, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin, Paul says, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are no not under the law, but you are under grace. Church, grace is a gift. Amen. Grace is a gift. But when we presume on grace so that we can sin more, we trample it and we destroy our gospel witness and we negate the power of the cross in our witness to the world. Third thing this morning, and we see this in, in verses 5 through 11. When you love God, you can still fear him. When you love God, you can still fear him. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, when you love God, you can still fear him. It was the great theologian Michael Scott. Don't woo for him. Who said, would I, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. That is not God's take on the matter, okay? Listen, church, we, we've already seen that the early church community was characterized by great power, and they were characterized by, by great grace. But if Sapphira is judged and perishes like her husband, both verse 5 and verse 11 says that great fear came on all the community. And I know that some will point to the Greek word and they will say, no, 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 you know, the fear, no, this fear in the Greek, actually, it just means strictly a, a, a reverence or, or a respect for God. And yes, like that, that is, that is absolutely in, in, in view. But listen, I, I don't think when Sapphira fell, like people standing around, it's like, gosh, I just really respect the big guy upstairs. Just really have a tremendous amount of respect. Like, yeah, there was respect. There was awe. But you better believe that when this went down, there were some Christ followers who went home. They got in their closet and they wept over their sin. And they cried out. And they repented of their hypocrisy and they called out to God and they said, God, please don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I need. Give me more grace. And see, we, we operate today like 
love and, and fear are, are, are mutually exclusive because we cannot fit God into our man-made box. So we, we, we bring God down to our level and we sort, of, we sort of treat him like a benevolent Santa Claus. Do y'all hear me this morning? <laughs> we do. We spend so much time pulling God down to, to make him relatable, to make him our friend, to associate and connect with his humanity. We've lost the balance. And, and let me be clear. He is personal. Amen? He, he is relatable. He is our friend. He did come in the, the flesh so that we could relate with Jesus, but he is still God. He is holy. He is altogether set apart. It's like when you're, when you're going down that form and you got all the options and then it's like other. God is other, okay? He is holy. And we've, we've made God so earthly that we've forgotten that Hebrews 12, 29 says our God is a consuming fire. And guess what? He is still every but much as bit of that consuming fire as he was in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Several years back, there was, a, there was a young couple that was attending Restoration who, who told me about a Bible study that they were attending. And they, they said, uh, we, we were talking, I don't, I don't think we were talking specifically about Acts 5, but they brought up, they said, uh, as, as we were talking, they shared that their Bible study leader had taught them that the, the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Their Bible study leader had, had told them that the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament was a God of grace. My, my. Whew. James 3. Feel bad for that brother when he stands before God. <laughs> Apparently, he had ripped Acts 5 out of his Bible. And here's the application. The goal for Israel was holiness. But, but let, let, me, let me bring you in on, on the best kept secret of the American church. Uh, the goal for the church is still holiness. Derek Thomas says this incident underlines that the holiness of God is not just an Old Testament doctrine. Church holiness is not legalism. This is important. It's not legalism. It's not a return to the law. It's not a return. It's not using the law to once again try to merit the favor of God or merit the favor of others. Holiness is responding to the grace of Jesus in allowing it to shatter your previous desires and allegiances. Let me say that again. Holiness is responding to the grace of God and Jesus and allowing his grace to shatter your previous desires and allegiances. 
And we, be, we become set apart when we realize that the old me, the old us, was hell-bent on rebellion against God. Which really, that rebellion, think about what that gets us. It's a one-way ticket for just more hurt, right? Think about where your sin has gotten you. Think, of, think about where, where the lying, think about where the sexual sin, think about where the idolatry, th- think about where that has gotten you. It just, it just gives us more brokenness. It gives us more, it brings more hurt. And we've lost sight that Proverbs 8.13 says that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of sin. Best definition I know of the fear of the Lord, straight from Scripture. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. It's the hatred of sin. Church, God hates sin, but we must remember that he ultimately flexed on sin at the cross. He ultimately flexed on sin at the cross. And in so doing, he demonstrated his great love for the world by providing a solution to our sin problem. Amen. That's why, Christian, there there is great peril in spiritual posing. I, I love I think Tony Marita puts it best. He says, when people don't value the holiness of God. They minimize sin. And when they do that, they devalue the cross where Jesus traded places with liars. And I'll, I'll close. I'll close with this this morning and then we're done. <laughs> I, I cannot believe I'm, I'm about to say this. But this week, this past week, I, I watched a, a sermon uh, from Todd White. <laughs> If you don't know who he is, it's not important. But I, I, I watched a sermon from Todd White. This dude has been preaching a false gospel for years. And he just came out this week and repented. And this dude, like, quote, said, All are under condemnation who don't believe in Jesus. If people, Todd White says, if people don't know they're sinners, they won't know their need for a Savior. And it's hard for me, he says, because I feel I haven't preached the whole gospel and I repent. I repent. The American gospel has for so long perpetuated spiritual posing because it invites people to Jesus without having to repent of their sin. And if there's no call to repentance, if there's no call to turn away from sin, church family, that is a false gospel. And despite Despite what the culture says, you you cannot continue to follow your own heart and follow Jesus. Let me just say that again. Despite what the culture and like every Disney movie ever, right, says, you cannot follow your own heart and follow Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from 
iniquity. See, church, Acts 5 is a sobering reminder of the holiness of God. Amen? Startling. But Acts 5 is a call to confront our hearts. It's a call to confront our own hearts. It's, it's a reminder that if God has already dealt with your sin at the cross, Christian, then live accordingly. Don't be a poser. Don't be a poser. Praise God. Praise God for His grace that, that saves us and His grace that sets us apart. Let's pray this morning.